Again, we are concluding the series we began in the summer on fulfilling God's dream in you. Now, what we want to conclude with is a title called A Life with Purpose. So before we start, because of the time off, let's review what we have taught regarding Joseph's life. We have found biblically everybody has a God-given dream. And everybody has a God-given destiny. We ask the question always is, how do you get from the dream to the destiny? And tonight we're going to find out, with all that we've learned on Joseph's life, we have uh, had nine weeks teaching on Joseph. And in those nine weeks, we saw nine tests that he faced. And what those tests are, basically is to bring character in his life and or we found that we face the same thing and it brings character in your life and in mine. What it does is, let me just give you a little secret here. God doesn't show you the fullness of your destiny until you start walking in it. What he shows you is steps. And in those steps, those tests come. Why? Because God sees your destiny, but I'll just talk about me, but he sees me in going through those tests that I need to grow in areas of my life so that when I walk in the destiny, nothing can hinder by my own character, my own choices, the destiny that he has planned for me from the beginning. Matter of fact, the call of God, which is the fulfilling of the destiny, was in God's heart before the foundation of the earth. You find that in Ephesians chapter 1. And so in that, we have found in this, this series, let me, let me say it this way, is that a lot of times we struggle with patience, we struggle with why this, why that, is because we're always looking for the end result, the, the fruition of the call, the, the destiny, when God is not going to show it to you till you actually start walking in it. Example, Joseph was in prison, and the next morning he was in his destiny. Some of you look and you say, all these years, and some of these things have happened in my life, I don't, I don't know my destiny. I don't think I'll ever walk in it. We're going to learn how you find your purpose and how you walk in that destiny. So in life, you go through tests that correct, enhance, develop a God kind of character to handle your destiny. The test, why the test? The, the destiny is bigger than you've ever dreamed. I'm, I'm just going to say this. You might laugh about it, but I'm really a big dreamer. I dream big. Oh, I go on times where I go fasting and I, I go to the mountains or I go to the beach and I just sit there for a few hours and I just start dreaming. I just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I... I begin to think about really big things. 
I began to realize that God can do anything because I found out what he does with people like Joseph. So we learned in this series, Breaking the Life of Pride. When you begin your journey, one of the first things that the Lord tests us with is pride. Is it going to be about us? Are we going to really realize that our destiny is to be a blessing for others, which will in turn bless us? And because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I failed the pride test at the beginning. When I became born again, you know, I, I, was, I was playing high-level baseball, and I had the, you know, the accolades, all the different things, and I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be moving into stuff with God, and God, you're going to use me big like I did big in baseball. And mm, the pit test. Stuff happened. Things were going great. Things were going good, and all of a sudden, boom. It's like everything that I dreamed would take place, the plan, all fell apart. The pit test. So when you enter the pit test and you climb out of that, that usually erases pride in your life. You begin to see things in a lot better light. And then right after that, you begin to enter into the palace. In other words, you enter into the door of your journey with God. You begin to move into a realm and in that palace test that you need to understand that it's God that did it, even though you're talented, you're gifted, that God gave you, that what we have to realize is when you're in the palace, it's all because of God. And we found that Joseph, after the pit test, passed every other test with flying colors. Then we go through a test as we begin to journey with God of purity, keeping a life that's pure. That was number four. Then the prison test. What happens in our life is because we're moving in areas where there's a demonic realm, we begin to be falsely accused and here is the test of being falsely accused, is how do you respond? In this test, we found out this is where a lot of times we try to figure out how to fix everything because we've gotten to know the Lord. We've, we're growing in the Lord. We know things. And then we try to figure out, you know, what God is going to do. But as Joseph realized, he didn't know the destiny until he walked in it. Again, at night he went to bed in prison. The next morning, he was second in command of the world. Then the next test, after the, the prison test, the test is how you handle the prophetic. Now, other people, because we are growing in our character, other people are speaking into your life. We learned what the prophetic was, what is false prophecy and what is right prophecy. And so what God begins to do now is because you are now becoming more spiritual than soulish. You are now in your life walking with God beginning to become more spiritual. We talked about honoring people who function in the prophetic. We have people in our church. We have people in here that function in the prophetic. And when they talk, 
you know, a lot of times they're, they're friends. We talk, we laugh, we talk about the Lord and everything. And all of a sudden, when there's a prophetic word from that person, I listen to them. I listen. Well, you're the pastor. Yeah, I know I learned it's not always about me. God will speak to me about the vision, but there are other people that can speak into my life. And then you learn to find spiritual fathers and spiritual moms. You learn to have others that will speak into you. And what that does in the prophetic, it literally speaks to you of deeper things of God, but it also brings correction to you. See, prophecy brings comfort and edification. Edification is, is also correction. And we find a lot of people <clears throat> struggle in being corrected, even in church. And then the next one is, can you handle the power that comes with your destiny? You begin, because of your maturity, you begin to be appointed in positions. You begin to handle things. God speaks to you. And you begin to do service in the church and do things. And, but, you know, people who haven't gone through all these tests and passed them, what happens is they start doing it because that's the right thing to do. That's a God thing to do. But they get offended because people don't recognize them or anything like that. But what we need to do, like, uh, like Joseph did, is that we need to know that God is in control. God is really moving us into a direction. And only we can stop what God has planned for our destiny by getting hurt, getting bitter, getting angry, getting frustrated in life. And then the next is because you go through that and you handle that and you walk in the power of God, then how do you handle the blessings and or the prosperity of your life? You begin to prosper in first your spiritual walk. You begin to have people that, that will come to you and want you to be a spiritual father or brother or sister or mom. And how do you handle that power? Because a lot of times um, with, with me for years, I'm a, a spiritual father to hundreds of people. And I'm a pastor to hundreds of people and a, 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 a discipler of thousands of people. And they come to me and they write me in different things. And, and if I say boo, they jump because they respect me. That's power, folks. How do you handle that? Do you handle that by getting cocky? Do you handle that by living your life and just saying, oh, I'm, I'm the head cheese and and I'm all this. No, you understand you are a servant. I am a servant to Valley Community Church that God has placed in a position, a pastoral position. And I do things, uh, volunteer for things and do stuff and work with people outside the church, inside the church. And, you know, I don't expect any honor from that. I do it because I serve, because I've learned the power. I'm responsible when I am given responsibility. You are responsible when you are in the foyer ushering, when you are at work and you've been given a position of oversight. You are responsible for people's lives and can be used to help them pass the tests so they can reach their destiny. 
But how many of you have found bosses and supervisors and managers and owners and all kinds that are just, they take the power and they use it for themselves? How many of you know pastors that do that? Pastors on TV, they look wonderful. But they use it for their own good. See, God's going to bless you. He's going to prosper you. But you got to know where it comes from. And you got to stay in that revelation and character of serving one another. In our church, when we do things in our church, we do it to love people. I mean, I, I walked in this afternoon. There are people that have been here all day long. All day long. All day long. And I'm just so honored that they have such faithfulness to the Lord that they would do that. And, you know, one of the first things, I'd say thank you or you're such a blessing. And then also at times in their life, I'll look at them and I'll say, hey, are you getting rest? Are you taking care of yourself too? You see, how do you handle the power? See, when you have responsibility, a lot of times your religious I'm going to say it this way, your religious responsibility, oops, let me say it, is it makes you so busy you don't take care of your family, you don't take care of your finances, you don't take care of anything in your life because you're busy, busy, busy being powerful. And, and God wants us to know that, you know, everything that you're going to reach in your destiny comes from a specific thing that we're going to see today of finding your purpose. And the last time together, we found how to live a life of forgiveness and pardon. Man, I had a lot of response from people with that. That they just decided to make that decision to forgive and to release pain in their life. So today, how to understand your purpose in life. And you are tested in your purpose also. So the question now is will you spend time with God learning your purpose and will you fulfill what God has given you? Will you be faithful to that purpose? Oops, there's that word, faithful. That's a key of destiny, being faithful. So turn to Genesis 45 and let's understand how Joseph learned and understood what his purpose was. We will see how Joseph was faithful to his purpose and the steps he took to fulfill his purpose. So here are some keys that we're going to give you to discover and fulfill your purpose in your life. In Genesis 45, verse 3, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, we all know the story, I am Joseph. They didn't know he was Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold in Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. <laughs> See, he's walking in his destiny. And now he knows his destiny. And he's telling his brothers the destiny that he is in. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So remember the story. There were seven years of prosperity in that dream, 
And it began to take place. Joseph was appointed, and he had seven years of prosperity. So he did what God gave him. He put away. He, he sowed and put away and, and saved all the crops. And, and, uh, and then they were, as the Bible says here, they were two years into the seven years of the famine. So it's been nine years that Joseph has been ruling. Now, Joseph could have gotten really powerful cocky. He could have gotten to the place where he says, if my brothers ever show up, they're dust. All I have to do is say one word and they're done. But he didn't because he understood all the things that he went through that got him to his destiny. So at this point, there will be five more years that they won't be planting or harvesting because the famine was so bad that it destroyed all the land. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So Joseph then continues to tell them what his purpose is. So now, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, obviously, Joseph understood because of what he went through. Falsely accused, his brothers threw him in a pit. They wanted to kill him. One brother saved him. They sold him all the things that he went through. So listen closely. All Joseph knew for years is that he had a dream. Remember that his family was going to bow before him. So at this time, Joseph is clearly articulating his purpose. Listen to it. Joseph said, God was in control. God proclaimed a purpose for my life. I learned to stay faithful to that purpose. Now, let me tell you what it is he begins to explain to them. So as we, as we discover and understand our purpose, let me give you some keys that will keep you focused on your purpose so that I promise you every one of you will reach your destiny. You will accomplish what God gave you. I'm going to say it again, because some of you have gone through some hard stuff. You're going to accomplish what God showed you. First of all, we must believe that we have a purpose. Believe that you have a purpose. Many people believe they don't have a purpose. Many of those believe the church has a purpose, but they don't have an individual purpose. If I go to church, I just do this, I do that. You know, what, what, what are you called to do? Oh, I go to the church, and I do this, and I do this. and Okay, amen, amen, hallelujah. You are uh, responding to your purpose, your call, but what is it? What is it? Some of you, it's very, very simple, but it will transform hundreds if you're faithful to it. You have both is that you love and you serve one another with your gifts. You have gifts 
that you are functioning with. That's why you do what you do. You have an understanding of it. We're going to talk about those gifts in a little bit. All right? So you bless the world around you with who you are. This is what Joseph learned. He blessed the world with what God made him through his life, the hard times and the good times. According to the Bible, you have a significant part in the body of Christ to fulfill. I'm going to read this quickly because of time. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 27, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, Holy Spirit. Even so, the body is not made up of one part of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? I mean, in this writing, you just see, I mean, they either say Luke or Paul wrote, I believe Paul wrote this, is, is just picture what he's picturing, just one eye, a big old eyeball. If the whole body were an ear, one big ear, where would the sense of smell be? How could you smell if you were just an ear? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Those that aren't seen. Those that are not on the platform. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. That's why you find me as a pastor. I will talk with all the people that are involved in, in the major things of the church, but I always go to some of the little ladies and thank them for their faithfulness to the Lord and, and their prayer, and I ask them, would you pray for us? And I will say things, because why? They're powerful. They're powerful. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. No one's better than anyone else. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So one of the main purposes, did you know, of our baby toe is for balance? Did you know if you didn't have a baby toe is that you would have a hard time with balance? So the conclusion, every part of our physical body has a purpose, and just like that, you and your call and giftings have a purpose in the church and the marketplace. You have a perfect purpose. God is a purposeful God. Everything God created, he had a 
purpose in mind. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Before you were born, before the foundation of the world, all your parts were discussed in God's book. Everything that you are, purpose everything, was planned already. And then you were planned to be a part of this body. Isaiah 49, verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me and take heed. You peoples from afar, the Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. That's why I'm against abortion. So when God formed you in your mother's womb, God had a purpose in mind for you. And God sees the end from the beginning. Now, with all of that said, let's begin now, is the purpose God has for you is designed specifically for you. And no one else will fulfill that purpose but you. No one else is better than you. God's planned you. And a lot of what you are is just you serving those around you, being a blessing. God built you, designed you, and created you with a purpose, and you need to know it. Otherwise, the enemy will have a footstool in your destiny. Purpose is very specific. You know, every animal has a purpose. Every plant has a purpose. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time for your purpose, and let me tell you, it's now. Joseph, in his life, through thick and thin, through good and bad, began to walk in his purpose. What was his purpose? His giftings, his abilities, he served others. This is what I believe. We can look at the gifts, the abilities, the talents, and the place you were born, and all the different things about you, and determine your purpose. What you look forward to, what you like doing. I can... You know, I've had quite a few of you in my home, and we've gone through stuff, but I can literally, because of what you've done through the years and watching you, I can tell you your, your giftings. I can tell you, I mean, I'm looking at you right now. I can tell you who you are. I can tell you what God has given to you because, you know, the Bible gives us five pulpit offices and seven body offices, I call them. In other words, the body of Christ, you, those who aren't called, as a pastor. So in the spirit, you have a form and a purpose. Here's the second thing. We must realize, as Joseph learned, God is in control. If you don't understand God is in control, you will never understand or fulfill 
what you were created to do. Why is that? The answer is things will happen in life that you don't understand. So you will begin to look for people to fulfill your purpose, to give you an answer. I, I can lead you to the one who can. That's my job as a pastor. Joseph had an incredible revelation of purpose because he knew God controlled it. In Genesis 45, verse 5, again, let's read this. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve others. You meant it for bad. God turned it around for good. He said this to his brothers who sold him into slavery. Joseph said, don't feel bad at all you did this. Watch this. For God sent me, verse 5, sent me before you to preserve life. He saw, even in the tough times, he saw lives being changed. He saw what he did and his abilities help others to better themselves. Verse 7, and God sent me, not allowed me, but sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. I know it's tough to really read the story of Joseph and to really feel what Joseph felt. Joseph really understood his purpose. Watch, if he didn't understand his purpose, then he probably would have failed some tests and he probably would be bitter towards his family. But he understood even when it looked like evil, God turned it around for good and he understood God was in control of this. God didn't make evil happen, but how did all this stuff happen is because Joseph was prideful and, and was bragging and all kinds of things, and that had to be straightened out, and being thrown in the pit and sold in slavery, slavery probably straightens you out from pride. It probably humbles you pretty good. There are times God sends someone because of their purpose and you think it's not fair where you are, but God sent you there. There are times God allows, because he is a sovereign God, and we make choices that he allows, he will reset your course in your life. Also, God will turn things in your life. When you're making wrong choices, God doesn't change. He loves you. He still knows the end. He knows your destiny. And so what he does, he just tweaks and he pu pushes a couple buttons on his computer and he reprograms you because you made a choice and you're way over here and you should be over here. Hmm. He can use things from your family, from your boss, all the above. And it turns you around to where you begin to walk in faithfulness of your purpose. Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God turns situations around. So whenever you're facing something that just is insurmountable, that you think it just can't change, I want you to know God's in control. He can turn it around. So here it is. Yes, God allows things to manifest, not evil, 
and then turns them around for good. So if you believe God is in control, then you're not upset when things happen and they happen even the wrong way. Amen. I know I have a call of God in my life. I know my purpose. I know that I'm gifted in specific ways. And you're gifted in specific ways that I'm not. And I know because of my, my work with the Lord, my study, my prayer, my time with God, is that there's an anointing in my life. But sometimes things don't go the way I thought they would go. I mean, I'm just passionately doing what I do, and Lord, praise the Lord to do this and pray and study and do all that. And then I, then I begin to move into it, and all of a sudden it's like, what in the world is going on? But I know God's in control. My emotions want to say, wait, what's going on, God? But I know my purpose of what I'm supposed to do. So I stay faithful to it, knowing that God's in control, and I don't change unless God says change. I stay the course. I set the sail. And when the wind blows, I, I set the sail, so I stay focused. I stay in that straight line, serving the Lord. Because you understand that, God is able to turn things around for your good and his planned purpose and for your individual purpose. Look back on your life. Look at some of the choices that you made. Did you pray about it? Yeah, you did. Did you feel that's a choice you were to make? Yes, you did. God said. Then don't get down on yourself when you went through something that you really don't understand. God will work it out for good. There's a, there's a destiny, there's a place, there's an ending God wants you to come to. And you have to stay faithful. Don't beat yourself up either. God's in control. God's got the wheel. He does. He's got the wheel and you're looking, you're saying, what is going on? The only one that can hinder God from bringing you through that is you keep failing the test. The character issues. Isaiah 55, 10, 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You did not send me here. God did. It was God's word. It was God's purpose. <clears throat> Nothing comes back to God empty. His purpose will prevail. Even if you make mistakes, even if you had difficulties and didn't follow him for a while, don't raise your hand. Any of you just got to a place where I'm just tired? I'm just tired of this Christian thing. Everybody's evil, everybody's this, and, you know, you get all that head stuff. I'm just tired of that. I'm just, I just feel like moving somewhere. But you know what? People do that. 
They move from church to church to church to church to church to church, and they, they always come up in the same place facing the same test. Stay faithful because God is in control. God's power also is bigger than your mistakes. Joseph could have quit on the dream, but he knew God was in control. So he went to prison. He was thrown in a pit, accused of rape. Most people would have quit. I don't care what my purpose is. I'm tired of people. You may not know why you're where you're at, but God has sent you to do something huge. And it has great purpose. Let me tell you what a true optimist is. A true optimist believes God is in control. That's an optimist. Not that you can quote slogans and stuff. A true optimist believes God's in control. It's going to work out. What do you mean it's going to work out? This has happened. That's happened. You lost your job. You This happened. You, you had to... Move out of this house, you had to do this, you had to do that, you lost your car, you blah, 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 blah. God's in control. It's going to work out. Here's the third. Discover your gift and your direction. We're talking about fulfilling your destiny. Discover your gift. Again, God created you with gifts. Romans 12, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So now it begins to talk about what is called motivational gifts. What motivates you? That's what I'm talking about when I can tell you what your gift is because I know what motivates you. I know what gets you excited. I know what excites you in life. What you like is your gift. Now, don't get too religious with this. What energizes you? What excites you? Did you know that I absolutely love children? But being a nursery worker would wear me out. It would. Some of you would just like, nursery? Awesome. Well, I know we, we have these services and different things. The women say, I'll do them all. I'll do them all. Because you love being with children. I love children. But sick me with a bunch of children for about two hours, and I'll be walking out, but you you know, but stick me with, with adults and hang out and talk, man, I'll do it for hours, because I love that, because I'm a teacher. Did you know at Valley Community for two years I taught the children's ministry? But because I'm gifted to teach and preach, but God sent me there so that I would understand teaching children. I loved it. Oh, I had a whole 
learning center full, and we were singing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That's when I was young and do flips and all kinds of stuff. But the reality is I had a blast. I'm still in contact with many of the children. And they're, <laughs> they're in their 50s, late 40s and, and early 50s. Because I, I love children. Let me give you the seven motivational gifts. Some of you are the motivator. You desire to motivate people to serve God. And a motivator is just someone that just moves into it. And just every time you're with them, you're talking to them about the Lord. You're, talk, you're motivating them to get to church. You're motivating them to pray. You're motivating them to, to get in the Word. And, and your conversation is you can do that. I know your job is hard, but you can do it. And you're always uh, just loving on people. Many of you are motivators. Uh, ministry means serving. You desire to meet the needs of people in a practical way. Those are the people that you drive up, and they've been here for two hours setting everything up. And then you have those that are apt to teach. Apt to teach, not teachers. What they do is, is they take a study that was put together, and they're able to explain it. Apt to teach. Many of our teachers across the way are apt to teach. That's their motivation. <clears throat> the next one is encourager. You desire to admonish and coach people to keep going. You're always positive. Have you known people that they come in and, and they just got this big smile on their face and they're just joking and laughing and they're, they're encouraging people? You're an encourager. Uh, some are givers. You desire to meet the needs of people on a financial basis. Uh, you, you struggle at times as a giver. You struggle to, to um, you know, be the server out in the parking lot or whatever. But, you know, you're walking down the sidewalk and you overhear that <clears throat> the children's ministry needs this. And you just go like, what? What do they need? Oh, okay. And you don't even pray about it because you're a giver. You've already prayed. You all, God's blessed you financially and you're moving into that area <clears throat> and you're a giver. Some of you are givers. And you don't have any money, but what you do is you bake pies, you bring in donuts, you're always doing something for your neighbors, you're always giving to people. Then there are those that are administrators, a leader who comes in a room and just looks out. <laughs> and you now know how to put everything together, how to take chaos into peace. And those are administrators. And then... The, my favorite is the sympathizers. Persons who identify and empathize with other people. I love that. Now, I function in all of these, and a lot of you, you because of work, because of home, because of everything that you do, you go shopping, all that, you, you function in a little bit all that, but there's specific ones that you're just always moving into. And so <clears throat> I function in that, but here's, I'm just gonna be honest with you, here's the one of the seven that I do the least, that I am the least on, that I always have to work on and actually ask God to let me feel what people feel because I'm a type A personality, get her done. 
You're tired? Oh, I know you're tired. Come on, let's go. Let's do it. And you know what you need to do while we're walking to do it? You need to work out so you can do more. Okay, that, that's my personality. And that could turn into like a workaholic. That I just love what I do. There are many times you'll see me, <clears throat> but I've learned through life. I've learned through 40 years of marriage. I've learned through study and everything how to modify everything and allow the spirit lead it. But you will find me here at 10 o'clock at night. You'll find me here at times. I'm just in the house, and I'll just say, honey, I need to go to the church. Why? I don't know. I just need to go to the church. I come to the church. There's no reason I come to the church. But I come to the church, and once I get here, there's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour that I know what I was supposed to do. And I dive into it, I do it, and I get in the car, drive home, and I'm fine. I go to bed, and I sleep well. Get up early, do the same thing. And, but I love sympathizers because you are the people that will be the last one, the last one to give hope to somebody. Have you ever known somebody that you've talked to forever and ever and they just never changed? A sympathizer will be the one that after you quit, they will go and still be with them. And we need that in the body of Christ. Verse 6, having then gifts differing, this is it, according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. If you ever served on a team, if you ever played baseball, you have the different positions, but in the different positions, you have the different people with different motivations. A motivation is a direction, but it is not the specifics of your destiny. That's why every one of you function in every one of them. So the question are, are there specifics of your destiny? The specifics, yes, there are specifics of destiny. And the question is, how can you know them? Here is how you find out. When will you know the specifics of your destiny? The answer is after you do them. Joseph knew the specific of his destiny from his dream. He walked in his dream all that way. He knew his destiny when he was actually administrating the dream that Pharaoh had and saving the world from starvation. That's what Joseph's destiny was, to save the world from starvation. And here's another key, to save Israel from destruction. Wow. We took a group of people to Israel. Man. Every time I've gone there, it's like, whoa. This is amazing. I had the privilege of being there. Joseph had a dream. He had a gift. Administration. Remember? Potiphar's house. 
he ran it. The jail, he ran it. He didn't know the specifics of his destiny. God points us into a general direction, and if we will be faithful to the general direction, then we will see the specifics manifest. God doesn't tell us all the specifics because, let me just tell you this. He, well, me. He doesn't tell me everything because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the hugeness. Is that a word? Yeah, it is. Of the specifics of what God called me to. I couldn't handle that. Do I have dreams? Yeah. But I've learned to keep my mouth shut unless I'm training and discipling. I don't talk about it a lot, some things, because um, I don't want to walk in pride. God gives me something, I keep it until he says to share it. God points us into that general direction. So here's the next thing. You don't know the specifics, but must determine the general direction and be faithful. God's called you here at the church. Be faithful to it. Be faithful. Well, all I'm doing is splitting the hot dog buns when we have VFAM. Cool. Your work, your job. God, I work at Target. Okay. What's the purpose at Target? Who are you supposed to meet? I remember a story, and I'll be quick with this because we're running out of time, is... There was a, a, a gentleman, an evangelist, who traveled around the world. And one night the Lord said, I want you to get up and buy a ticket and go to Israel. And he said, well, why do you want me to go to Israel? He says, I want you to go to Israel. Go to Israel. So he went to Israel and he planned a three-day trip because he knew that it was going to be a short thing. First day he was there, he walked around. Okay, God, tell me, what, what do you want me to do? Nothing. Went to bed that night, got up the next morning. God, what do you want me to do? Nothing. All day long, walking around. God, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll just do the tourist thing. I'll walk around, go, you know, different things. Went to bed that night, early in the morning. <clears throat> that night, he was going to be flying out. He said, God, you want me to lengthen the, the plane ticket? You want, what do you want me to do? And he says, uh, go to breakfast. And he went to breakfast, and he was sitting there eating, and a gentleman walked in with his wife, and it was a pastor. And I'm not going to share the name, uh, because you would probably know them, popular pastor. And he and his wife had gone to Israel because they were wondering if they were just to quit ministry because they were done. They were tired of what ministry brought them. They were hurting. They were angry, all the above. But they decided, let's go to Israel and let's just talk to the Lord and just find out. And he, the Lord said, go speak to them. He began to speak to them. And uh, they began to tell him the story. And today, um, this couple is uh, our pastor's of a church of 35,000 people. But they were going to quit ministry, but he encouraged them as an evangelist and exhorted them and gave them insight. And then when they got home, called them every day and gave them a scripture 
about their call. And he did that for six months. And now these, this couple are, are my age, and they pastor a church of 35,000 people. That's what God can do with one, one person. So when you uh, do that, God will turn all the circumstances around for your good so you will see the specifics fulfilled by staying faithful to the general direction. Here's the next and the last. Set your course and be faithful. Set your course and be faithful. Don't allow mean people, people that are struggling, people that just went through a trial and are angry and stuff, that say and do things or treat you wrong, change what your course is. Because all the tests are important. But here's the overall theme of every test. Be faithful and continue to serve God with all your heart. No matter what you go through or experience, be faithful. Because the enemy knows when you're getting close to your destiny. And he will do everything he can emotionally around you to hinder you because you have been faithful. So you have to stick with it. Know your purpose. Know you're called here. Know you're called. You're at work. Stay there. Stay there unless God says, I want you to, to uh, go here and get a job here. Don't leave a job until you know the next job. Amen. Don't allow situation and circumstance to change you. No matter what you go through or experience, be faithful. Proverbs 18, 16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. You are gifted. Never ever tell God the specifics. You know, God, I know what you've called me to do. You're going to have me do this and this and this. No, don't do that. Stay faithful to your dream. Be what God brings to you. And the last statement of the 10th week of this series, the Lord determines the direction, but we determine how far we will go. God will give you the direction. God has given you the direction, but you determine how far you go. I said the last thing I was going to say, no. Holy Spirit just told me something. I need to say it. There are instances in our life, and we know them, that God said to do something, and we began to do it. And the people around us just weren't nice. Or they didn't act like me. They didn't have the passion that I had. And so you, we get frustrated with that. And we quit. And then we go do another thing. Because why? We're motivated to do ministry. And we do something else. 
And after a while, we're tired of those people we're working with. And then we, we think about it, we pray about it, and we get to the place, because this is what we've done, as we say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm called to do this. This is my destiny. Don't do that. Stay with it unless someone that you trust comes up to you and says, hey, I've seen your giftings and your skills. Can you help us in this area? That's when you go, let me pray about it, Lord. And he'll say, yep, that's where I want you to go. Okay, all right, well, let me tell so-and-so that I'm going to this area of the church or I'm going to this job or I'm going to, okay? And you do that. Why is that? Because you're faithful to the Lord. You don't allow experience or, or struggle or pain or false accusation or anything to change you from being faithful to what God gave you. Keep walking in your dream. And one day, you will wake up and you'll go, whoa, I'm here. I'm here. And you will see the blessing of the Lord. Let's all stand.